I'm on this rope team with two others. And like, before we start going up, they're like, hey, if uh, one of us falls, we got to jump off on the other side. It's great. Like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. I'm like, that's like 70 degree drop. Like it's like a 60, 70 degree angle. And like jump onto the other side. Oh my gosh. This is the Limitless Athlete Podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindsetter X and your host. And I believe we should actively be seeking out the most challenging situations that we can stand. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. That's how I responded. Today on the Limitless Athlete Podcast, you'll be listening to a conversation between founder of Morning Chalk Up, Justin LaFranco, aka JLo, and myself. The biggest lesson I think the average person can take away from this is how Justin goes out of his way to expose himself to challenge rather than insulating himself from difficulty. One certainty of life is that you are going to encounter challenge and strife. Your path through life will be littered with trials and obstacles. That's one of the guarantees of life, along with tax and death. This is especially evident in training, but also in our relationships, our careers, and every other area of life. Look around you, and you'll notice that difficulty is everywhere. You'll also notice how some people thrive under it, and others crumble. What's more, it's relative. What challenges you and I will be at two completely different levels. What prepares us for hardship is hardship itself. When you do difficult things, you get better at doing difficult things. What was once beyond you is now within your capabilities. This is not because these tasks become any easier. It's because you prove to yourself that you are ever more capable. You and I should not be waiting for challenge to explode into our lives from the unknown, but should be biting off as much of it as we can chew at any given opportunity. The path to growth and to a better life runs through hardship, not around it. Alongside hardship, Justin and I also discuss how you become identified with becoming a crossfitter, delaying gratification for the bigger reward in the long run, something the US's highest mountain, dealing with fear and the benefits of solitude. For the first 30 minutes of the interview, we focus on what sounds like entrepreneurship and media. My advice for this portion is to listen beyond the surface level and lean into the principles beneath them. Justin is a successful man and principles carry. Coach Rachel and I will also be making these lessons even more explicit in the debrief, a follow-up episode where we'll be helping you apply this. We'll also be pulling out the key ideas that you may have missed and discussing how you can use them in this conversation and the wisdom within it to train your mindset and become a limitless athlete. Now, back to the show with Justin LaFranco. Firstly, welcome to the show, officially. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
And then, like, I know you've spoken about this at length before, but I think it's a useful way to phrase the com or frame the conversation. Sorry. Um, talk to me about CrossFit and the House of Representatives, and like, and how you got there. CrossFit and the House of Representatives. Well, I think you, you know particularly. Uh, uh, well, I mean, since we're on the topic, um, you know, CrossFit's been lobbying pretty hard for some economic relief in the House of Representatives specifically, uh, co Congress as a whole. Um, you know, and they just had a, a nice little article in a Hill rag uh, called The Hill, and uh, they are trying to get some economic, uh, like I said, economic relief, a specific stimulus program to help put some financial money in the hands of gym owners because they were forced to close, basically, um, while a lot of other industries got targeted, you know, targeted being specific um, economic support for those industries, they were, those industries are still able to operate like restaurants, for instance, uh, to be more specific. And they were still able to operate, you know, with limited um, capacity and, and, and other restrictions that were required there, but they were actually able to operate whereas gyms were closed entirely some of them for months, um, but they didn't get any special dispensation. So they've been lobbying pretty hard on that. That's not what you asked, but it was relevant because that just, uh, there was another article that just came out, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before. Um, but my my trip to Congress started in 2008. Well, actually it started in 2007, I think the beginning of 2007. Uh, I was still in college and uh, I applied for an internship. I did a semester out in Washington, DC, both uh, kind of a companion thing where I was studying in a program and also working about 30, 35 hours a week, 30 hours a week, let's just say. Um, in the, in the U.S. also represented for a member of Congress, and that's where I got my first taste of being in politics professionally and working behind the lawmaking process and getting introduced to that. Uh, after I graduated, uh, I did come to Washington, D.C. to seek out a you know, career, to start a career in this, and I got an opportunity um, beginning of 2009 and uh, kind of started my journey there and made my way through politics for the next seven years. I didn't always stay. I, I, I was in Congress for about just a shade under five years. Um, what was and... your interest and ambition there? Like, did you have a particular goal? Were you just like, <sighs> was it interesting? Was it like, was it uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the work was very interesting. Um, it's funny because I'm here in Rome. That's I'm, we're doing this interview. Um, I'm, you know, um, actually looking out on the skyline in this general direction where I'm looking uh, is actually the American consulate, which is I was next door to it. Um, uh, staying my first night because I, I didn't have my, my apartment yet. And so I was in a hotel. And lo and behold, a member of Congress walks through the, the front door and I was like, Jerry Connolly. He's <laughs> like, I know that guy, you know, because he was on a committee that I worked on. It was the House Oversight Government Reform Committee. And I was like, yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> member of Congress who, uh, you know, as an, he doesn't know me, and I, but I, I know him from seeing him in the halls all the time and seeing committee hearings and stuff. And I was like, hey, Jerry Connolly. Wow. Uh, why are you in Rome? <laughs> and uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but my interest in it um, started uh, just with my love for politics and, the, and kind of the political process of getting things done, I think is the, an easy way of uh, saying it, um, which is the, the art form of um, negotiation and uh, political process and weaving through and navigating that environment and how you strategically do that through comms, through negotiation, through coalition building, through relationship building, and then executing on a strategy to get legislation passed or to get, uh, you know, the people on board with ideas, et cetera. I just thought that that was such a unique thing to do. And I loved history and I loved American politics. So, you know, that's kind of the place. If you feel like getting those things, it's kind of the place, 
my ultimate goal uh, was actually to make it to the White House. Um, so my last job in, in uh, politics was uh, um, kind of being the uh, digital con- head of digital content for uh, governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, who's running for president. And uh, you know he lost. So my job ended and I decided, hey, you know what? I think that's uh, been enough for me. It's been about, it's been seven years. It's a long run and I'm going to go off and I'm going to try some new things. I'm going to do different things in my life and uh, see where I can take all of these skills that I've learned and apply them to another industry. Sweet. Yeah. And when did CrossFit come into your world? 2006. So uh, at the school, uh, the college and a uh, guy that lives next door to me, we used to work out together all the time. His name, his name's uh, Matt Banward. He owns Red Bull CrossFit Huntington Beach. And you know, we'd be in the gym together and he says, I don't know, he came up one day and he was like talking about this CrossFit thing. <laughs> you know, we're doing all those buys and try day, you know, back, back and buys or, you know, whatever. Uh, what was it? Uh, it's a chest and tries, back and buys. Okay. You know, squat days, you know, right. Um, squat days sometimes. Sometimes, okay. <laughs> but definitely, definitely hitting the incline bench. That's for sure. <laughs> so, you know, he was, he was doing this kind of different stuff and kind of dabbling in it. And I did, I joined him for a workout. I think we've, we've talked about this a couple of times. Uh, Cause I actually am a member of his gym now um, in Huntington beach, California. So uh, when I'm not in Rome, <laughs> I'm in Huntington beach. And so we were talking, we've talked about this a couple of times. And I think we did Helen as the first workout and I'm just like, and just totally demolished and completely beside myself. And we did it on a track too. So it's none of those, it's none of those uh, 400 meter runs, you know, that That's are like precisely 400 299 meter runs that sometimes end up happening, you know, uh, at gyms and whatever. I don't really care. Uh, but I've ran some four, I've ran some 400 where I was like, wow, <laughs> that was fast. 58 seconds. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that I'm not that fit. I've never been that fit. Um, so that's when I discovered it. It didn't stick for me. And I uh, just kind of went back and did my own thing. And then a couple of years later, I was in Congress and I was training for a marathon. I saw uh, Matt posting these photos of him competing at sectionals back then. Okay. So first and only year of sectionals. And I was like, dude, man, that stuff's cool. I want to do that and maybe i could supplement my running training with crossfit you know because it's it's cold in the winter in washington dc and to train for marathon you're taking six to nine months of training and so that means you're naturally going to go kind of through um you actually train through the winter and then your your run is in the spring because you don't want to run in the summer you definitely don't want to do a marathon in the summer not there so um do you have to train through the winter i was like oh this would be great like i can not run all the time keep my leg strength and do some of the things like that. So I just kind of started butchering and bastardizing CrossFit in, in the house of representatives gym, uh, in the basement, sub basement of the Rayburn house office building in like the corner, you know, like all the CrossFitters back then that didn't go to an affiliate, the, the, the gym rejects that were like looking weird doing burpees in the corner and like doing kettlebell swings with a dumbbell. <laughs> People like, what the heck's that guy doing, you know? um, uh, so that's where I got my, my start. I was 2010 and then I joined an affiliate officially in 2012, um, and made a really great decision in my life to 
do that and get the instruction and the training that eventually turned me into a much better, much more competent, uh, a stronger mover, and ultimately helped build the knowledge base. I had the passion, I had the desire, I clearly had the dedication to keep going through um, this, but I was really just kind of a terrible athlete who was extremely excited about burpees and whatever I was doing with the barbell that probably wasn't supposed to look like that. Um, and then I got some instruction and I loved it and uh, I've been in an affiliate ever since. Sweet. Yeah. There's um, nothing like that naivety when you get into it and you're just like, yes, this is you're like, this is a thruster. You're like, that's a quarter squat press. <laughs> yeah. I'm barely a press. <laughs> barely. It's like, a, it's like, yeah, it's like, a, eh. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a push press for us now. <laughs> yeah, my my first workout ever was Fran, and it was like some horrendous oh. front squats, and like took me about seventeen minutes with like a thirty kilo bar. I've told the story, but on the podcast before, so I'm not going to bore everyone else. But it's it was horrendous and just awful. Okay, so yeah. that's a that's that's seventy five pounds. That's a lot to do. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was a, it was a stupid. Yeah, it was a stupid thing to do. It was. How like, your it wrist was, feel? Garbage. Like, yeah, not like, good. Like like they were like gonna snap in half. They still do I often. Could, I, I couldn't do a mobility. I couldn't do a thruster when I first started CrossFit. I did not have the requisite mobility to yeah. like execute a proper thruster to I, death. I think I was young enough and had such a lack of musculature that my body would go into positions that it wouldn't go into now if I hadn't trained. Um, so it was, it was kind of lucky. Yeah, that was not lucky. my that was not my journey. <laughs> that is not my story. <laughs> yeah, I'm at that point where mobility is now a thing, and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I see the importance of it. Really, I knew yeah. it was important, but but now yeah. it is. Um, so how does that that like interest in CrossFit, that passion, become really um, a central point of your life and turn to business and really like yeah form a, a central foundation of, of of who you are i suppose yeah you know crossfit does become i think for many of us a part of our life where it's not really like a conscious choice any longer like you are a crossfitter right that's what a lot of us say um that's sort of a genericized term but to us it's kind of like an identity um and that's something we've known for a long time and that people uh who are looking outsiders looking in uh, are like okay <laughs> they're special and they're a unique breed but we do absorb this identity and develop this for ourselves and I think that um, once you kind of go down a journey and you get to that four five and six year mark you're kind of in for life mm -hmm. and I was in comms that's what was my profession come from comms uh, and so the natural uh, direction of what I was skilled at was in communicating, was in writing, was in doing, and I did a lot of social media because that was, that was a new way of communicating as I was coming up in politics. So 2009, it's got like the Facebook election. And now that was part of my job was to communicate congressmen's or candidates policies and ideas to the world digitally. And that was my role. Uh, so naturally I was gravitating more towards, um, well, how, how could we do this in CrossFit? How could we do more of this and centralize and bring everybody together into something that update that keeps people informed, fundamentally provides a invaluable service. And the service would be of basically of information and say, look, we, and my, you know, my skill set is condensing large amounts of information, distilling that down into something that's clear and that can be digested and fun and it's actually useful. Like, why was, sorry i'm going to interrupt there yeah. why was that so important to you like why was it important that people had such a kind of a unified source of information well what i know for sure or knew back then was that there wasn't 
one of those things. And that because CrossFit is an in, even as an industry, if, even if you just look at it from the United States perspective, if you take out the rest of the world, it is such a disperse group. There's no centralized location. There's no centralized uh, level of thinking. There's independent events over here. There's independent events over there. There's independent training camps and coaches, athletes all around. There's no central location like in DC. And I wanted to bring everybody together and say, guys, you're doing something cool. You're doing something cool. That's a trend. That thing is happening. This coach is now coaching this athlete. Where are you going to find that information? If you want to be plugged in and as CrossFitters, like we're pretty crazy about our CrossFit stuff, right? And I was like, there is a need for everybody that matters in this industry to be fundamentally informed because it's going to change their decision-making process because they know, oh, hey, by the way, such and such event that we kind of overlap on a little bit, just announce our qualifying dates. And those qualifying dates are the dates that we're considering. Maybe we're going to consider changing that. Well, that's an educated decision. How many affiliates are in your country? Educated decision. That actually changes whether or not you think that the market is saturated or not. The FIDAID decides that it wants to move into Europe. It might be curious to know how many affiliates there are in there because they drive an immense amount of their revenue through B2B and business to business and selling their uh, uh, products directly to consumers through affiliates. So don't you think they'd want to know that information? Where are they going to get it? That's an informed decision. That is information that informs your decision, allows you to do your job better or make better decisions or just be in the know. And so that's how I approached it. And I was very different at the, at the beginning because I didn't know all these people yet, right? I was just kind of this guy that was just surfing the web and just kind of going, all right, I can put all this stuff together if I pay really close attention. And then start emailing people say, hey, you know about anything about this? And you know anything about this? And you do that and email everybody. Eventually someone's going to respond and tell you what's going on. And then if three or four people tell you the same thing, well, now you have, uh, now you have a storyline. Yeah. And- so it was kind of Harry Carey, Helter Skelter at the beginning. And I, and I wasn't an authority on what was really happening. I had to get really plugged in and that took years to get there. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> Sweet. So thinking back to those, I suppose the early days, the first few years, what moments and memories stand out to you? Oh man. Uh, most people don't know this, um, unless they've heard me say it before. And even if they read back then, they probably don't remember. I used to publish seven days a week, just crazy, mm. absolutely crazy. And then I was talking to a friend and he's like, yo, and he was, he, he, he was a guy I used to work with. Um, his name's Kurt Bardella and a uh, phenomenal communicator. Um, and he's like, dude, you got to move to five. It's like, there's no way you got the steam for this or the staff. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So that, that, that was an early decision that, uh, that was smart and accurate. And it wasn't till a lot later that we moved to six. It's kind of producing a Saturday edition. Um, and it's funny that, that we're talking about this now because we've just moved back to five. And I think five was always the right number of days to deliver because this industry is not that big. It's big, but not that big. It's not so big that people need in that there's a whole thriving ecosystem that's executing seven days a week. You want to go to the NBA? Fine. If you want to go to MLS? Fine. There's games playing on the weekend for like five months. Sure. Cool. Whatever. But like we're, we're the paper of record for CrossFit and we just don't have the staff to be able to accommodate like seven days a week for 52 weeks of the year and just absolutely crush there's no rest in that. And we did that for a long time at six and, and, and it, it kind of wore us a little bit thin. 
Um, and I think it was a balance. And so when looking at the balance and looking at my own capacity, I was like, you know, five was good because we got a day where essentially it was chill. And, you know, you really get a weekend and on Sunday, you work a little bit more, you work a little bit on Sunday because you got to deliver a Monday morning edition, but you could do a lot of that work on Friday, to be honest. So I kind of, uh, I came to regret having to six. It was the right decision at the time. We were trying to be aggressive. We were trying to grow and expand. And sometimes you take some risks like that and you buy it off a little bit more than you think you need. And we just didn't need to publish six and we moved back. So that was one of the memorable things is like, you look at that from a business perspective and you realize, hey, you try some things, but you have to be able to, to, to pull back. And I actually should have pulled back earlier. I didn't realize that. Uh, but that's a part of being an amateur business owner who doesn't really know what they're doing. And it's just kind of trying to be awesome, but isn't, you know, it's kind of like doing CrossFit at the beginning. You're like, you know what, going unbroken on that set of 15 cleans was a crappy idea. You're like, but now I don't do that. I just do singles and I finished earlier, you know, <laughs> that's just a part of yeah. learning. And, um, you know, I've certainly learned my fair share of lessons over the last five and a half years of doing this. Yeah, it's almost the um, volume versus intensity argument, and it's a good way of putting it. And also, just quality of movement. Like you're kind of the yeah. like I've I've really everything that I see through Mon Chalk Up is quality. Like I, the, the, I, I, it feels good and solid and stable and quality, which is something you get and something you lose. I think if you are constantly pushing, constantly delivering. Yeah, constantly. it's either that or you have to have a really big staff because mm -hmm. no one can maintain that level of intensity yeah. forever. You have to be able to, and you have to have a big, and to have a big staff, you have to be able to afford a big staff. Yeah. So there has to be a balance there between like, hey, how much money are we going to spend on all of this stuff? While at the same time, knowing that not everybody really, there's not enough audience out here. There's only 2 million active CrossFitters. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, we could publish, oh, let me just do the math here. We could publish 240 stories a month, okay? Which sounds like a lot and it is a lot. But even publishing 240 stories a month wouldn't even justify, the traffic wouldn't even justify that volume mm. because there just aren't enough of them. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, okay, and frankly, you know, a person, an individual really only has the capacity to read like two or two or three at the most stories in a day. I mean, they're yeah. I mean, that would be like somebody, you just knocked it out of the park. There's three total killers in your arsenal today, but asking them to do that every day of the week or five days a week is like crazy. Like, so three stories a day, five days a week, 15 stories a week. Do you read 15 CrossFit stories a week completely? Afraid not. Okay, case in point, you're on a podcast. So mm -hmm. you're a guy that wants to be in the know and you know, you're, you're keeping up on this and that. You might read 15 headlines, but I guess you don't get through half the story and neither do our readers and there just aren't enough readers out there to do that. It just doesn't justify it. So to produce 240 stories a month would be crazy. We produce like somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, we do three stories a day, six days a week, which is 18 stories times four, which is like what, uh, 64? You know, yeah. I could write 240 though. I got enough stuff come, coming my way. I mean, there's plenty of things to write about, but that's just where you look at when intensity versus volume, just like you got to pick and choose and, yeah. you know. Yeah. So there's almost like a, a parallel here between um, coaching careers and especially gym owners as well. It's like, okay, I've got to do more, 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 like more hours, more this, more that. Yes. Like I've got to push it out. And that's my worst that's... tendency, by the way. Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting because this is, so this is me to a T. Yeah. So many of us like, 
especially if we have ambition that's what we default to that that kind of yeah. i hate I, i'm not too sure on the phrase toxic productivity but it is it's it's productivity that smashes us i've never heard that and, before but it's not uh it's it, it's not wrong exactly yeah uh, <laughs> um yeah so like there's a there's a change in driver that happens there's a change in mentality that happens um what was driving you when you were putting out seven days of content a week and when you were or seven editions a week well, seven, so seven editions didn't last much more than I think two months. Um, and you're in experimental phase. So everything's just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's very experimental. Yeah. And one of the reasons I chose to do that is because what I was modeling the morning chalk up after was a, a political newsletter called Politico and Politico mm-hmm. published seven days a week. And that's what I always knew. I always knew to drive the news, you had to be in front of people's, um, you know, get in front of people every day. Right. And that's what the industry that I came from. So Moving down to five was just a realignment of a capacity and recognizing my own capacity to deliver good and relevant stuff on a daily basis, but also B, um, the audience just wasn't going to want to digest. I don't remember what the early open rate figures were in the early days. Um, This was very early, so I'm sure they were fine. Um, but they're nowhere near where they are today. And it was also just unsustainable. So I made the decision because that's, I came from an industry where that was just default. Like there's no news that stops on Saturday. Are you kidding me? Or Sunday. That's not, that's not, that's not real. We were constantly inundated with news on a, on a regular basis, but um, CrossFit doesn't need that. You don't need to get updated on Saturday unless if you're paying attention to a competition. So which doesn't mean we won't cover competitions over the weekend. We just will pick and choose them very wisely, but there won't be a newsletter product that gets put out. You'll come to our mobile app or you'll come to our site or you'll see it on social media. And that's how you're going to be able to digest that content. Um, you don't need to, we don't need to produce a newsletter that day. Not everybody wants to know about that competition, to be frank. Just true. Yeah. So tell me about the most challenging situations that, that came up in those original years. Scale is one of the, one of the ones that most founders will tell you the, the earliest, which is how do you, how do you scale? And one of them, one of the issues is how do you scale if you don't have any money? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mean like no money. I mean like, no money, mm-hmm. like overdrawn your bank account. Like, how do you do that? I remember being at regionals and I had to like put in my own cash. So it was like, I was like $1,300 overdrawn just on accident or mm-hmm. something. I think I just wasn't paying super close. We don't spend a lot. So I wasn't paying super close attention. I think Facebook ads like came up with like a new bill. Cause it has like a set window. Yeah. It bills you like every $900 or something. I think like, I think it was just running and I didn't realize it. And then all of a sudden like a bill happened. I get this notification. I was like, Oh crap. Like we have no money. <laughs> like, I got to write a check to my, to myself. And so how do you scale in that, in that environment? Like you can't pay anybody. How do you, like, I'm gotta be the only guy to write stories. I'm like, I got to find somebody to write a story for like a nickel. And that has to be as good. Right. Because you can't, you can't lose your quality of delivery. You can't lose your product because your content is your product in my, in my, my situation. So you're like, how do we, man, yo, like, would you take like 20 bucks or something? I think I got people to write at the beginning for like 15 or $20. And I, even then it was hard. It was hard. And that's not a lot of money to be honest, but yeah. it was hard to find people that were good enough that had, had any kind of real skill in, in, in putting together writing in the way that we were doing it. It just was different. It wasn't, it wasn't this human interest story. It was like a newsy story. And so scale was the big issue. That was the one that really troubled me the most and scaling without money. And I, I think I would do it differently if I did it again, 
and be a little bolder. But the way I did it was I just saved. But that, you know, it's funny because like once we got to like year three, I think we were an early stage startup on year three <laughs> because the first three years it was like me and just using some subcontractors to write stories of, that would allow us to get a little further, you know, or have a little bit extra in the newsletter that day because we were able to rely on somebody else's piece. And then I kept doing the same amounts. So I basically kept my volume the same and then I tried to get another one. And then I tried to get another one and then kind of moved that way. And then when it didn't work out or the person was done, okay, I got to find a replacement or find somebody else to contract. So it was kind of in that game of just finding people that wanted to contribute and had to get really creative. Uh, definitely made me scrappy from a creativity perspective, but the three are sort of on ramp where you're basically like beta testing your, your development. Cause no one's spending any money with us. No one's buying advertising or the ones who are just not, you're not even reaching a critical mass where you have like 50, you know, you want to, I don't think we even did $50,000 in a year mm. in advertising in, in year three. So this, this what are you gonna, early what are you gonna do flywheel they take a long time don't they they're just like big yeah. slow and you're like you're just grinding away Jeez, grinding it out yeah. grinding yeah. it out ones and twos fives and tens fifties would be unbelievable you know so approach it differently i might take out a loan i might um i don't know take a different path perhaps and just make an adjustment uh you could do funding and early round funding you know pitch somebody on the idea and say hey you know we want some kind of um you know early early adopter um thing, you know that pitch them on the idea and do that and there have been plenty of people in media that have done that i just didn't i wanted to do it on my own terms yeah. You know, and that's, I think it's like a, I think it's like a first, first entrepreneur, entrepreneur, like mentality is like, I want to do it on my own terms, right? Like I, you know, also, I didn't really know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing, but I really didn't know what I was doing back then. And I don't think I could have even justified the ask for, oh, can I have like 50 grand? And they're like, what are you gonna do with it? And you're like, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> stuff like things i don't know what would you what would you do with it yeah. and you're like oh, no no you're supposed to tell me that you have to check i'm like oh you know stop yeah. i wouldn't have had a good answer and i wouldn't have known what a good answer should have been i would have made something up and maybe i would have gotten the fifty thousand, but i wouldn't know what was right and mm -hmm. so um scaling without money is one that's um unbelievably challenging i think i i just think honestly and how we got here is i just really literally outworked the problem and that's one where brute force was necessary, but man, it was a killer. I mean, just a killer to get there um, and a long slog. So I wouldn't want to go back. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because like in every form of success, however you want to phrase it, whether you define yourself as successful or not, or doing a challenging thing, there are these corollaries where you um, delay gratification, where you have these the initial three years of like, man what am, I, what am i doing you're very yeah. lucky if you get into it and you you hit this flow um so yeah it's interesting to see like coaches will resonate with that athletes will resonate with that box owners will resonate with that people who own online coaching services like myself will resonate with it i, like, I see yeah. the same thing when you yeah it really i think really i think you know for the business-minded listeners you know i think when you're really really young 
it's okay to immerse yourself into it's always okay to immerse yourself into something but i would say this you have to have an enormously loyal and um important support system to do that um and i also think it's really important to set time frames and goals for success and failure um you should let yourself fail you should recognize when you can no longer do the job it's not failure to walk away now you may be able to say look we weren't successful but not everything in the world is successful it's not just be, you can't work for nine nine years you can't work for 30 years and make something successful in fact you can just make it worse or you can just be the same for 30 years it's not a guaranteed upward trajectory to what you're doing i think it's i should have and i gave up a lot to get there like pretty much everything in my life was centered around morning truck up. There was nothing left. You couldn't, you couldn't be more dedicated to a project. Think of like, not because I'm comparing myself to Elon Musk, but think of Elon Musk sleeping on his couch in, in his office for like 18 months, working 16 hour days, seven days a week and saying yes to every opportunity because he was fundamentally fully committed to being successful. And that's called outworking a problem with effort and energy. Some people will get there. Thomas Edison got there. Elon Musk got there. There. <laughs> and that's cra And that's crazy. And sometimes you can do that. But I think for any young entrepreneur, they have to have a great support system to do that. Yeah. I did a lot of that stuff on my own, which fundamentally just buried my head down and going forward and boring through each problem and saying, we're going to tackle it. We're going to tackle it. We're going to tackle it. We're never going to give up. We're never going to give up and we're never going to back down. That takes a monstrous toll on your personal life over a long yeah. period of time. You know, and I think that people don't recognize that. And that's the one thing I didn't realize about entrepreneurship is that you actually marry your company mm -hmm. <laughs> in a real way. Like, Marry your company Even and legally, get the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, sometimes legally, um, you know, and people don't recognize that. And that I didn't recognize in the beginning. I think for any first time entrepreneur, somebody who's diving into maybe even taking over a company because you, once you commit to it, like you're kind of in, you know, it's kind of like getting married in a sense, but you're like, if you do it alone, it's like being a single parent, not, not because it's really like being a single parent, which is a fundamentally much more challenging endeavor than this but it you don't get the support from others you're kind of on your own like you got to make your own big decisions you got to live with them and you don't get to walk away yeah. do um, you have you do yeah well you, you can file for bankruptcy you can't you, <laughs> yeah. you know if you have any debts you pay them off and if you have any money left over and then that's yeah. what you got and you know go get a job Just a quick note to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, then chances are you're going to enjoy our free ebook too. It's called How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step -step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. Look, it's completely free. You just have to stick your email address in there and press download and it'll be in your inbox pretty much instantly. So to find it, head to mindsetrxd.com. That's mindsetrxd.com slash ebook. But let's get back on with the show. Did you have a clear vision of exactly what you wanted to create at the time? And yes, I did. Had, and is that the same as what is the vision that you're looking to create now or exactly where you are? Or has it morphed and changed? No. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um. We started out very simple. 
we are going to deliver a you know, morning chalk up is a daily new Monday through Friday daily newsletter that that brings together all of the things that are happening across the CrossFit world, the sport and community in a, in a three to five minute read every single day. Mm. That's what we started. Still kind of what we are, except we became more of a multimedia company. Instead of aggregating what was going on around and contextualizing that for you, we're now kind of leading the news cycle in the sense of we're writing stories ahead of time where we're leading the news uh, charge and, you know, our audience reaches significantly larger and we're getting a lot more pitches and a lot more exclusives and a lot more embargoed stuff. So now in a sense, people are getting more of their news from us. Whereas we were taking what everybody else was publishing and then we were kind of bringing it in house and saying, Hey guys, like, I know you don't follow everything. So follow us and we'll give you what, what matters. So that's where things have changed a little bit. We became a lot more of a multimedia company after 2018 changes. And we were sort of one of the only news outlets reporting anything at that point. And, there was massive uh, layoffs going on at CrossFit. And so I saw that as an opportunity to say, look, if we were ever going to do it, now is the time. So we're just going to dive headfirst in, figure out what our audience wants to see, figure out how to monetize it, do that at the same time. And uh, I guess I'm going to be traveling overseas 20 times a year, (laughs) which is also crazy. I remember hiring one of my staff like on a plane after landing from China on my way to London to go to Dubai because I had like this daisy chain trip that came about from have to go from China to Dubai via Los Angeles and London. And I was like on, I like landed in London, landed in LA I had 90 minutes to get on another plane. I didn't check any bags and I had to go out of security and through customs and then up in, I grabbed a shower in the lounge and got on a plane. I called the guy and I was like, Hey, okay, you're hired. And I was like, I gotta go plane's taken off. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? And, and, um, so that was diving headfirst into being more of a multimedia company. And we started filming a lot of recaps at these events and trying to bring coverage and interviews, et cetera. Um, I think we're going a little bit more back to our roots though. Um, we experimented with that a lot. It was phenomenal. It got our name out there. We got to know athletes and venues and organizers and fans from other countries. And that was fantastic. But, you know, media changes and media shifts all the time. And I think media is shifting again here, especially as CrossFit's building more of those, uh, their arsenal of media operations again, and they're continuing to do more video. There's now no longer a need for a lot of other people to do that. And there's some great video producers out there that are creating content both independently and in coordination with events and et cetera and stuff. And that was just kind of this vacuum area where we said, look, we're going to step in. We have a global presence. So we're going to try this and we're going to try these new things. And so we're kind of going back more towards our core base and living in those lanes a little bit. And I think that's another lesson for entrepreneurs to say, it's okay to step outside of your lanes and experiment with it. Try not to get pulled too much, um, but define lanes for yourself. In the beginning, our lanes were extremely clear. We didn't have a website for literally 18 months. We're just a that's impressive. So we had a landing page where you could sign up, but that was it. And then, and then like in 18 months in, we kind of had this like, like newsletter archive. So like, cause everything was a newsletter. It wasn't, we weren't building content specifically for the site. So it was like newsletter archive was basically the homepage and only page. And then you clicked on it and you got to a, you know, the archive page itself for that day's newsletter. Otherwise it was a subscribe page and that was it. And that's literally all it was. And there's simplicity in that. And there is success in simplicity. There's success inside of discipline. And you can find that. It's like, no, you don't need to do like 450 different squat variations. In fact, you could probably just stick to three. You know, you could do the front, you could do the back, and you could do some lunges. 
If you do those three things, you're going to be pretty great. Now you could do some other ones if you're perhaps having a weakness in a specific area, or maybe you're having issues with depth. And so you do a front foot elevated, you know, split squat instead of lunging, or you, you know, you do a front rack lunge because, you know, you need to work more on your front rack mobility or your single, whatever you guys get this, but you don't need to have 450 different offerings to be a successful company or to have value that you give to your customers. Um, and so we're trying to get a little bit more like that. And that's kind of also why we moved down to five days a week. It's just like, we move up to six when that opportunity came. We're like, all right, we're going to push, 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 push more. And now it's like, okay, pushed enough. Let's take a step back and let's make sure our quality, our product is quality. We can pay attention to detail, pay attention to our customers in, in a way that, that continues to show value to them. And so, um, lesson learned, but it was always, but it's worth a shot. It's always worth a shot. Of course, of course it is. Because what would you aim at if you didn't give it a shot? We, we spoke about identity and you, well, actually mentioned how CrossFit kind of becomes your identity when you're, when you're a few years in. It's like, that's all you do. When, when did that identity or a, an aspect of that identity go, okay, mountaineering, that's a, that's a key interest. Yeah, that's for a me. fun one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being attacked by a fly. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So when, when, did that, when did that come into your life? Mountaineering or, or mountaineering? Oh, mountaineering. Okay. So mountaineering came in um, a little bit after I moved back to California to start Morning Chalk Up. Um, it, it was kind of this, when I left politics, I said, you know, look, I want to fill my life with things that I was putting off. One of them being in the outdoors. I love the outdoors. I think it's just amazing to be inside of creation and just see nature and experience it, just be a part of it something I never got to do or got to do once or twice, you know, very rare, rare occasions. And I didn't grow up going camping or being super outdoorsy. I loved it, but I didn't do it. So I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of start walking kind of thing, you know, like Forrest Gump. It's like, well, why are you running? And you're like, well, I just kind of started running and it never stopped. And then you start running a little faster and then you run up hills and maybe you leave the street and go on the trail and that was kind of what happened with me so it was just a natural sort of evolution where i started you know hiking little trails and then i was like oh maybe we'll hike up a mountain and i'll take my dog and maybe we'll hike up a mountain together and oh, maybe we'll hike up a bigger mountain and then i was like well maybe we'll hike up a mountain with snow <laughs> and i had a friend and uh, that i met at crossfit uh named sonia and uh, she was in dc and I saw these photos she was posting with ropes and axes and crazy Tiny things, carabiners and, and stuff. Exciting, and I was like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> yeah. what is that? Yeah. And uh, she, she was, she's like, oh, I've been seeing you doing a lot of hiking and stuff. You know, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you ever doing this out West, you let me know. I would love to get, ex get some experience with it. And so, um, yeah, I had a little bit more experience after that and kind of had some cool things. And then she invited me on this trip up in Washington and just like, yeah, we're going to be climbing this mountain it's called Mount El Dorado. And, you know, here's your gear list and things. And I'd, I'd done a little bit of snow stuff. So I, I'd, I'd walked in crampons before and used an ice axe and um, kind of traversed snow fields and gone up snow slopes and stuff. So I had a little experience. Um, I'd done this with a buddy um, down um, uh, in, the Sierra, in the Sierra Nevada area. And uh, so I was kind of like, I, I wasn't a complete amateur, but I was not super familiar and I'd never been on a glacier before. So it's like, okay. So anyway, so go do this trip. And I'm like, wow, that was, uh, that was 
what was so what was the thing that was so good about it what what was meaningful for you so yeah i get this question a lot it's like why do you climb you know it's a natural question because you're like you're doing some crazy stuff now like why do you do that like thrilled you just like adrenaline i'm like no no that's not what it's about it's like there's a couple things number one every time i wake up the view that i see is earned Mm -hmm. it's not given you know i think i saw that a t-shirt somewhere but i'm commandeering it for my own purposes so uh it's earned every view you see is earned and it might you might be the only one looking at it that way from that distance from that elevation through that vista through that scenery number two mountaineering requires you to marshal all of your best assets together it's not specific it's general so it's a lot like crossfit in the sense that you need to know how to do snow ice hard pack traverse terrains glaciers rock climb it protect it protect others assess it, evaluate it, read weather, um, prepare your food, your calorie intake, et cetera, and then physically tackle the challenge. You have to obviously have the mental capacity to execute the strategy of doing this. And then you need the physical capacity to execute physically climbing. And it is not easy. It is always hard. It's never straightforward. It's never the way you expect it's going to be. You constantly have to change. And so when I get out there on the mountain, my, it's like my mom moves at a million miles an hour and now it's just, it's like tunnel vision focused into this, this thing. But I love challenges. I like challenges in my life personally. I like challenges in my life physically. I like challenging myself mentally. There's no better way to do that because it's like doing a burpee. You can't fail a burpee just like you can't fail a step. It's just about your choice. It's about deciding if you're going to move forward or not. It's about conquering your fear. It's about learning and it's about adjusting and it's about growing. And those things are what we do at CrossFit. That's CrossFit for you. It's a little less mental in the, well, it's mental in the sense of um, in keeping yourself engaged and working through the problem and not giving up. You don't need to know as many technical skills. So it's not like learning ropes and like uh, tying knots and you know how to set up an anchor point here and you know how to protect this route. Not like that, not, it's not technical in that sense, but it involves all of those elements. And so those, those three things that get challenged every time I go into the mountain is what keeps me coming back. And then your reward is knowing that you've challenged yourself and you've grown and you get to seek out adventure wherever you are. And then when you get good enough, you get to climb wherever you want in the world, which means I can see things nobody else can see. I can experience things nobody else can experience. I can give and live my life in the way that you know, makes me happy and builds up the people that are around me. And that's fun. That's the best. That's it to me is, is saying you have done something with your life that isn't mediocre. You've, and you could take climbing mentality and put that anywhere, right? You could, you could be in yeah. sailing, you could be into, you don't even need to climb. You could traverse on snowshoes across Greenland for, for, and, 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 and have, and have require all those same skills. It doesn't have to be up a mountain to be whatever mountain you choose in your own life. And you can do that and you can share that with others. Yeah. That's why want I to. wanted to ask you about it. Cause there's so many transferable skills. There's so from a oh, mental absolutely. perspective, it's like, it's, it, you can see why it's the metaphor that everyone comes down to you. And well, it's a long year walk, go, an hour, right? Murph, think yeah. of Murph, right? Yeah. Murph is a fatiguing workout for whomever you are, except an absolute elite athlete. I've done Murph like nine times, probably seven or eight of which we were with a weight vest, probably four or five of which were unpartitioned. And so you get to the point where your body is like, nope. Mm-hmm. we're kind of at that point and okay. you have to decide to choose to move you choose to move and the choice 
the choice is perhaps the biggest and best lesson that you take away from being a CrossFitter is that you've chosen to make a sacrifice physically that hurts. Okay. So when was that choice the hardest to make on Denali? Nah, Denali was always easy. Yeah. Always easy. I was fully committed to Denali. Um, when, okay. Denali climb was extremely hard. Yeah. Very hard, but I was never, ever thinking I was going to go back. Okay. Now, I recognize I might not have gotten to the top because sometimes you get weathered out. Mm-hmm. You are in an unsafe environment. You have to make a smart choice. You can't make an emotional decision there. So that wouldn't have been failure. That would have just been, sometimes it doesn't sure. get happen for you, right? It's just that in mountaineering, you have to accept that the summit may not be achievable today safely. So that's not failure, but I was never turning back. I was never in too much pain to be able to walk or I was unwilling because I had climbed 13 mountains before that. Mm-hmm. And I had gone through that. Now, if this was like your third mountain, I can't even imagine what you'd be feeling because it's like brutal physically. And if you haven't trained like I was training, uh, the physical element wasn't actually that bad. Um, you know, there were some times it was really, really, really tough, but I knew I could do it because I got, I, you know, I had, I'd been through this and I'd gone through mountains and gone through mountains where it was tough, it was burning, it was physical. I do tell you though, climbing Mount Shasta, I wasn't in great shape when I came into that climb. I wanted to quit more than any other mountain I've ever climbed in my entire life. Okay. At what point, what was happening then? So we'd had like a lot of snow dump in, and we had to climb up this, like, it's like three and a half or 4,000 foot snow snow slope where it literally, not literally, but feels like it'll never end. And this was for hours and hours and hours and hours and then some more hours we climbed for nine straight hours we had to some we had to ascend five thousand vertical feet which if anybody does mountaineering that is a monster summit day wait is that right five yeah nine to 14 14 one you're like five thousand vertical feet in one day, it's not like going from zero to five or from three to eight, it's going from 9,000 to 14,000. So you're crossing this massive oxygen threshold, which is like 10 and a half, 11,000 feet. That's kind of one, it just depends on how you're feeling that day. But like 13 is like a big one where you're like, yeah, like I'm definitely feeling a little hypoxic, my heart rate's through the roof. Oh, and by the way, I've been, I've been climbing for four or five hours. The ascent alone took us nine. And then we had to go back down. 7,000 feet, but it was right around like 3,000 up that I was just like, we were taking turns, um, climbing and everybody was post holing like sometimes up to your waist with steep grade so post for everyone that is smashing through the top layer of snow it, and, and to go yeah, the smashing through the top layer. So basically it's kind of like wading through water up to your like mid thigh is kind of what it is. So imagine you like stepping up through the water instead of stepping through the water. So you're like trying to like create a new step, but that requires you to like lift your leg up like two and a half feet with snowshoes on and a backpack in the snow, in the dark forever. Like at 10 and a half thousand feet. For, yeah. yeah, right. You're like at 10 and a half thousand feet, 11,000 feet, at 12,000 feet, at 13,000 feet. I think we got a little break at like 13.1 or 13.2 because it, it kind of like crusted up at that point. And it was just really deep snow. And it's like, man, mentally I'm broke. Mm. I mean, I don't actually know. I, coll- I like collapse on the summit 
I was beat like I'd never been beat before physically. And that was a great challenge because I, I, I got a similar climb element in Denali where there was a segment of the climb that was almost that bad. It was like 12 or 13 hours ascending with sleds behind you up steep slopes in really nasty wind and whiteout conditions at times or visibility was like 50, uh, maybe not that bad, 100 feet. By the way, that's actually pretty bad in general, but as long as you can still see the people in front of you, so you know you do have a point of reference, but you have crevasses to deal with, and there's a re there's a realization of actual physical danger in these situations, and then you can't hear anything if you fall into a crevasse. So mentally, I can just stay very engaged, and the climb was brutally physical, brutally physical, and it really felt a lot like that climb. So I'm glad I had gone through that and had my butt totally just destroyed and. Um, but the things that you choose to do, you know, people are like, why do you do that? It's so bad. I'm like, Hey, guess what? Life's going to be hard. I know what I can get through. I mean, I know this is physical, but you make choices every single day about how you're going to approach the way you live your life. Um, I think that translates really in its own way and it translates for different people. You don't have to climb mountains to, to, to be able to, to take on big challenges, et cetera. But um, this is one of the ways that I express that too. Um, and I'm allowed to uh, have some fun while doing it and make some great friends. And I, I climb with some of my best friends now who I met climbing, never would have met them. They all live in different places, but they're amazing people and they're phenomenal climbers. They're actually far better climbers than I am. I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of amazed at how little I know whenever I'm around them. And I'm like, Sort of like they're the cool people to hang out with right like they're the yeah, people yeah, like yeah. oh i'm so grateful i know you yeah i know maybe we'll go down to like three days a week and i just become <laughs> a climbing bum you know like sweet man i got like four days to climb i could summit everything in the pnw if i have four days at a time and then just come back and just type for like three days and then go back out in the wild well that that's the new way to be a climbing bum as well create a super successful business buy a hundred thousand dollar sprinter convert it and live <laughs> yeah. out that and then live the dream that's super accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people. I do know some some folks that are lean, have been leaning more in that direction, trying to digitize their their, their work life and um, you know find reoccurring revenue streams that allow them to do that. And and you also downsize your life a lot, so you're not paying for a big mortgage or something like that. Yeah, you have a loan on your Sprinter, or maybe you piece it together and get it for forty or fifty thousand all deck and uh, including the repairs and the upgrades that you've made. But your climbing gear is kind of your climbing gear. That's kind of your home now, and so you can live a little bit more of a modest lifestyle. We're paying for gas, and you're cooking your own food, and you're not like shelling out for as much energy costs or, you know, other things and a lot of clothing, you kind of live a little bit more simple. So I know some folks that are going heading in that direction. I know a couple of climbers that actually do that and they're really cool people. And they're people I've learned um, some great climbing skills from uh, as I've, as I've broadened my uh, network inside the climbing community. There's like professional guides, professional climbers who, who, you know, guide for money really because they love it and they love they love climbing and they like teaching it to other people, but they're really like professional climbers that like guide so that they can continue to um, A, keep on their skills, which is great. You know, teaching others makes you better. So that's a thing. And then three, because um, gives it for them an opportunity to do the thing they love and they're passionate about. And these guys are gonna be lifelong climbers. Like that's mm. what they wanna do. They, they're in this for, um, for life. It's a difficult one though, because I suppose the only hindrance with climbing Oh, sorry, guiding is finding someone, a client who wants to hit the objective that you're interested in rather than just yeah. like the entry level. Right. It must be you have to be tough. a lot more like you can't, you can't guide selfishly. In fact, um, I think mm -hmm. those that do take up on that role, like learn that pretty quickly is, um, and the one, at least the ones that I know, I mean, they're there for the client. 
for themselves. Like, even if they've never been up to the top of that peak, it's, it's really, you know, they're really being hired by the client and stuff. Now it's a group decision for everything that goes on. And our safety is a major concern for, um, for all guides that are, that, are, that have, have a group of climbers on it, but they're really there to serve the clients and not their own, you know, ambitions to the summit. You know, that would be sort of irresponsible to be pushing a group that, um, perhaps it wasn't prepared physically or, or, or wasn't up to the challenge for one, one of a million different reasons that would be sort of a more irresponsible thing. Um, I'm sure that happens. I've actually never, I've, I've actually never been on a guided climb, but I've been around lots of guided climbs and I yeah. even know some guides and then they're, they're really, um, they're really there to serve, to serve their clients and hope, hope to offer them the best chance of success um, yeah. with their knowledge and with their experience. And, and, you know, that's that's where they come into to play is knowing what to do and when to do it and how to keep everybody safe um, and having a good time too. Um, even if you are scared a little out of your mind, but this happens sometimes. I know I've been there. Yeah. You wake up like a 45 degree snow pitch. You're like, oh my God, this is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I'm on a snow slide down a thousand feet. Okay, so here's here's something that transfers. Like, and I, I know you're kind of you're tight on time, but let me hit on on this quickly and just see whether there's any anything that transfers to the average athlete as well. That fear, that that moment of like when you're on a knife edge ridge or you're it, like, it's very exposed or yep, there's something yep, happening. You, what is your thought process like, or can you take us back to a moment when you were experiencing sure. that and describe how you went through those steps? Yeah. So the first time I climbed the first real summit I did was El Dorado, which is a sharks. It's a shark's fin summit. So for those that don't know what that is, it kind of looks like a dorsal fin and it's not very wide. This one was maybe sumo deadlift high pool length width. It's about the width of a barbell. It's like the width of a barbell plates, the plate section. So the knuckles. So not quite, it's a little longer than sumo deadlift. And it's like this on both sides. So it's kind of, it's kind of like this. And it's like a, it's like a shark fin and it goes up like this to till the top. I was like, I was on this rope team with two others. And like, before we started going up, they're like, Hey, if uh, one of us falls, we got to jump off on the other side. It's great. Like you gotta be freaking kidding me. I'm like, that's like 70 degree drop. Like it's like a 60, 70 degree angle. And like jump onto the other side. Oh my gosh. And the wind's blowing a little bit. It's not crazy, but it's blowing enough. And certainly from an amateur, it's blowing plenty, you know, to make you nervous. Um, turned out to be totally fine. But as I was going up the thing, I was like, I mean, I saw this video later on of it. Uh, I'm like jamming my ice axe in here. Like instead, more like, it's usually more like you kind of like gingerly poke and you just keep it to make sure you're having support and you're keeping balance. And then if you one foot were to slip, you'd have that second point of contact there on the snow so that you're not just one foot and one foot and one foot slips. And you're like, oh, I'm out of balance. This is like keeping you steady. I was like, <sighs> like Gandalf, like you shall not pass. Like, <sighs> <laughs> so I'm just like decimating this ice like Gimli going to war uh against some orcs and stuff like I was just completely scared out of my mind it turned out it was totally fine but um that was a growing experience <laughs> the next time I climbed I was climbing this really kind of aggressive and I still like 
think back to it, I'm a little nervous about it. Even if I think about climbing it again, it was Mount Whitney's Mountaineers route. It was in December. And for those that are unaware, it's cold at 14,000 feet in December in California. And it was late December. It was like December 20th. So right before Christmas. <laughs> and, it, and this is like snowshoots, like 45 degrees. And it's hard pack. And the run out on it drops to 2,000 feet off a cliff. So like, if you were to not be able to self-arrest, which you probably wouldn't be able to do, I'm just being completely honest. Like you probably wouldn't be able to self-arrest. It. It's, it's, it's reassuring hard. to think, oh, I could probably self-arrest on this and jam my ice axe in, but. Mm. This, this one, I don't, I mean, I was only kicking in like less than an inch, maybe, which is enough to, to get good footing and to climb. Just if you were to make a mistake and I was still very much a novice, it would be problematic <laughs> to say the least. So. I was like out of my mind freaked. I mean, just like all the dangerous spidey signals are going on all over your brain. And you're like, this is totally messed up. I really could die. I mean, I'm not in this situation where I'm going to die, but if something bad were to happen and a mistake were to happen or, or God forbid a rock were to come loose and causes you to um, lose your balance. That's a, that's a real, a real actual concern. And so this wind is whipping up at like 40 miles an hour. And it's just, it's like sand. It's like the snow is like hard. So it's like sand blowing into your face. There's like snow everywhere. And all you saw my face, my beard. I'm like, I want to get out of here. Like, I want my mom, you know, I want to go home. This sucks. And I was with Jerome, uh, another climber, Jerome. And he was like, you know, he talked me through it stuff and then he helped me through this like there was this portion it was like a small little ice step which again is like well that's ice it's blue <laughs> this is even worse now and helped me through it and I was able to be successful and stuff and since then I've actually become a much more strong climber mentally um but it's tough mountaineering can be very challenging and those are the mental elements too which is very little physical it's technical so as long as you have the technical skills you have to make a decision about whether or not to do it um and that's just part of mountaineering, I think. And um, those who do find success and are able to overcome those challenges, I think as adults, we don't challenge ourselves very often anymore mentally. Not like that. Not like when we were kids, you know, where we did something and, you know, coach or somebody else is cheering us on and telling us, no, you can't give up. You can't give up. You can't give up. And you don't give up. And you're like, man, I didn't give up. And I did something that was great. And I'm proud of myself. And my parents are proud of me or my family's proud of me or my community or my friends, et cetera. And you do something, if you don't win it, it's about, it's not about that. And I think as adults, and that's one of the things that people are finding so rewarding about CrossFit is that element. So this is similar to that in that regard, but in general, in society, I don't think we challenge ourselves a lot um, in that kind of way mentally to break through barriers. We're kind of done with that. We're like, Hey, I already made it through college. Like that was hard enough. Like, you know, I guess your next big challenge would be children, but it's, I mean, that's not, it's not the same kind of thing. It's, it's, it's obviously has its challenges, significant ones um, and rewards, but it's not the same kind of thing, uh, breaking through mental barriers about being scared out of your mind and deciding, you know what, I'm going to walk the plank and figure it out. I'm going to take a risk physically. And those are cool. So yeah, it's know. a perfect example of exposure therapy as well, where you find your limit and then you're like, okay, I'm going to go slightly beyond where that limit is. Not right. so far that I freak out and I can't act. You're like shaking like, and just and then, like completely like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh my God. like you, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like maybe 
uh, maybe that could be dangerous, actually, in fact, mm -hmm. you know, and exactly. I, you have to do that with people that you trust. If exactly. you're going to do this in an environment where physical, you, you could physically get harmed or maimed, I think you have to do that with people you trust. Yeah. And I did trust that. And I did trust Jerome and I trusted Igor who were climbing. It's funny because Igor will be here on Tuesday and Jerome will be here in a couple of weeks. Um, which is kind of cool that they're going to come visit uh, all the way out here. And uh, those are two of my two two guys I climb with pretty regularly that just so happened to be able to make a, a trip over uh, to Rome. And, uh, you know, a lot of people do this with like ice baths. And I think that's a good application there, which is mentally, it's very, very painful physically. And it's actually, um, you know, you feel like 15 or 20 seconds is a long time for those who mm -hmm. haven't trained themselves mentally to shut off and, and do that. I think that's another example. It's like, you know, they have to climb up mountains to train yourself. Like you could sit in an ice bath for five minutes at a really cold ice bath. It's like, that will take you a time to work up to. You weren't just going to mm -hmm. like get there. I mean, maybe life or death, that's one thing, but doing this after a workout and getting into a bathtub that's like literally 36, 38 degrees takes a lot of mental capacity to turn those pain receptors off and make a decision, make a choice that mm. you're going to ignore it and you're going to move forward. That's yeah. Like I'd say the interesting thing, the, the most important step there is like, instead of pushing it away, you actually just have to observe it and, and, and really go, okay, I am feeling, yeah, I am feeling shit scared right now. I am in discomfort. Uh, and that's, and then you're like, oh, okay, now I'm scared. I know that now I can act. Yeah. I think it's okay to do that. And there's been times where I, I mean, I looked at drama. I was like, I'm freaking out. Dude. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to lie. And he knew, he knew it. He could see it. He could tell. And you can always tell when someone's like, are you sure we need to go that way? Like, what if we just kind of like went around? They're like, oh, around, like what? Like all the way over there. And then up there, you're like there. And then that thing, you're like, no, like it's like 20 feet. Mm -hmm. like no 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 no. i mean let's look sketchy yeah so, like, um it's okay to embrace the fear i think you have to mm -hmm. recognize it too in certain circumstances you can't just uh and you can stomach it too i you i stomach it now i i, I see those mm -hmm. things and i just go okay it's time to move right but that yeah. that that came with the development that came with a lot of development it takes with that it takes that exposure therapy to do it to prove that you are stronger than you think you realize and then you're okay i'm even strong so i can do this next thing and maybe i can push that and maybe i can push that and maybe i can push that and that's how people get over their fear of box jumps it's how they get fear of injury oh it's yeah good that's great point. box box jumps is a perfect example of people just having just this acute fear acute fear like mm -hmm. like knee shaking fear and you're like okay well yeah all right well we're not going to do a 24 inch box jump today then are we exactly. clearly not we're going to use a plate um you know we're going to use a pad perhaps or something mm -hmm. you know something soft something that's not abrasive but it's four inches six inches okay maybe 10 inches and stuff and those are successes those are small mountains you know i, I and I, I i like and this is the that's why i said in the beginning look it's like it doesn't really matter what mountain you're climbing you just climb one do this and I think you'll be, you, I think you'll find that you are proud of yourself for the things that you've done. You know, I look, I look at it, other people that I know that have done similar things with their life and their own personal self-worth has increased and changed significantly because of that. Um, and it's been really inspiring to watch. And so one of the things that drew me to Morning Chalk Up was this, was the best of what CrossFit has to offer, which is um, sort of a renewal of body and mind and those challenges that are presented to people that have never been asked to do anything hard in the last 40 years of their life are fundamentally believing in themselves in a way that they never believed in themselves, maybe ever in their life. I think of, I think of people who are overweight, or I think of people who perhaps have a deformity or, or some kind of adaptation. They've been laughed out of everything in their life. You know, they, they weren't just not picked, they weren't just picked last on the basketball team, right? You know, in recess. <laughs> 
they weren't even allowed to play. If they wanted to lift weights, I think of like women who wanted to lift weights or something, or maybe they were interested in it. You know, it was kind of like Victorian society. It was like, no, 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 man, this is a man's thing. And like, well, okay, but look at CrossFit now. Look what CrossFit's teaching people to believe in for themselves. Like think of all the overweight people that walked into a gym that walked out crying. Mm. How many times did they do that before they stopped? And now they're coming in and they're crying when they leave because of joy. Because mm. the okay. change that's seen, because they've and seen the change that's happening potential. and themselves physically, but the restorative power of community fitness to change the mind, I think is one of the things that draws me the most to CrossFit. And it is one of the things that we've wanted to and have tried to continue to talk about, you know, um, in, 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 in publishing stories and publishing different pieces and highlighting feature stories, et cetera. It's looking at that and saying, man, how many people walked into a gym broken inside from something, right? I, it doesn't matter what it is. And the restorative power of fitness, the restorative power of community fitness specifically, because nowhere else, nowhere else in the world, challenge me on this, I don't even care. I'll, I'll go to the mattresses on this one. Nowhere else in the world is a fat, overweight person who's not attractive or cool or has friends or is popular cheered on a rowing machine giving everything they've got being the last guy or girl finished there's nowhere else in the world you see that you nowhere else in the world will you see a guy or girl jacked out of their mind completely just total spartan-esque right there with that person cheering that person on and 20 other people surrounding that, that, that athlete going and moving. You won't see that anywhere else in the world. No way, nowhere won't happen. Not going to happen. And so I think that's, I think that's one of the biggest draws. And I think that's where you see mental transformation inside of CrossFit. You see a renewal of spirit of mind of an individual's confidence, et cetera. And I think those things are just unbelievably invaluable. And I think it CrossFit's value for most people is finding something like that. Hey, I can move better. Hey, I uh, can move with my kids better. I can move with my spouse better. Maybe I have more confidence or, um, you know, more, um, more mental capacity and overcoming challenges in my own life and to do that. And so I think, um, yeah. I think that's really what CrossFit is, makes CrossFit so special because it does actually make you move better and it does make you healthier while also does all those other things at the same time. Yeah. And it never stops doing it because as long as you show up, as long as you decide to commit, as long as you're there, as long as you don't fail a burpee, which is impossible, then you're going to keep getting that. You're going to keep getting that and you're going to keep getting stronger in all the other intangible ways of strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and also obviously and in strength too. Um, but that's not always the goal, right? You don't need to PR every month. Um, but I think you become a better version of yourself the longer that you do it. And the longer you do it, the more other people you want to help along the way. And the more people you want to bring into that journey with you, for themselves, not just not just for you and for your own company, but for themselves. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's the place to end, dude. I think that's it. Um, one final question to wrap things up. Actually, two. First one. What do you do on a regular basis, aside from getting outdoors, that puts you in the right mental space or that looks after your mental health? Well, CrossFit, CrossFit's huge for me. Um, I can't be good in life 
without physically pushing myself. Um, it, it makes me feel physically better. And I think it's for a lot of people, especially I'm sure a lot of your listeners. So I do that. I have to read. Um, I'm okay. not myself if I'm not reading regularly. It doesn't really matter what it is. I just need to read regularly because um, I, like I said, like I like to challenge myself mentally. I like to challenge myself physically. Um, mm. And so those things are super important to me. And if I'm not doing it, I'm actually not staying in my equilibrium. And number three, I actually need alone time. Uh, too much is I, too much can be very bad. Um, but but like if I'm constantly around people, constantly around people, I need to recharge myself. I don't realize that like work drains me a lot. And so if I don't get an opportunity to recharge, if I don't get an opportunity to have some alone time, sometimes it's just veg. And that's sometimes also about reading, which is alone time. You can't really do that, uh, you know, in the middle of the living room when your whole family's hanging out. This is not really the moment for that. At least it wouldn't be for me. Uh, some, maybe some other people can, you know, completely immerse and focus on that and they're great. Cool. That's you. Uh, that's not me. So reading helps me establish a little bit of alone time, just that I need to actually recharge. Sometimes <laughs> it's just watching TV, which is kind of silly, but, and I don't really watch a lot of TV, but I do like to throw on a movie or something like that. I like to dream. And I think movies sometimes inspire me and I need inspiration as an individual. Um, I can get very down on myself if I, if I don't get inspired and if I am not helping myself stay, in, stay inspired because I'm working so hard and working so hard can drain me mentally. That's kind of why I said you also need a support system. I think that people who are in your corner that can recognize when you need those things and that can come and help you. And so, um, yeah, that, those are some of the things that I do. Yeah, that solitude is so important. The the time to yourself. I think we we kind of think it's a sometimes like a sign of laziness. That's something that I battle with quite quite a lot. Like, oh, if I take some time off and I'm not being productive, then like yeah, I'm being lazy. I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's super important, especially for pretty much anyone in, in Western yeah. society today, because like, if you're not being productive, you're not being worthy. That's the thing that we, we put out. So yeah, some, some time by yourself is, is equally as valid, equally as important and as time being productive. And that's something we have to teach ourselves and reading as well, like broadening your horizons, gaining different perspectives on reality. It's yeah. super important. So final question then, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about Morning Chalk Up? Like send, send us the relevant links. Uh, morningchalkup.com uh, sign up for our newsletter uh, we'll give you a whole good mix of what's going on across every single day five days a week sorry uh, not every single day five days a week uh, you can follow us on Instagram too morningchalkup or instagram.com slash morningchalkup um, yeah and we hope you subscribe and check us out and let us know how we can do better fantastic man what's the next objective for mountaineering I'm kind of in Rome for a little while so I'm gonna I'm keep, when in keep Rome. myself here I mean, when in Rome, yeah, I'm, I'm when in roaming it, uh, eating pasta and stuff. So that's the next objective is to find the best pasta in Rome. So <laughs> that should take me uh, the better part of a decade. But <laughs> I only have two months to do that. Uh, no climbs scheduled right now. I kind of missed the climbing season because um, I committed so much to Denali. I, I was there climbing for, for almost a full month. So um, that was a big commitment, a huge commitment from work and to, to, to step away. And so I think uh, I might have to wait till next season, but TBD. I, I might be able to pick something up in the winter. I do like winter climbing. But. Okay, sweet. So two things then. If you're in BC in February next year, like so am I. So we can, uh, like, there's a mountaineering, a few mountaineering routes. And All second, right. if you're ever in the UK, let's let's take up some mountaineering in there as well. Sounds there's, good, there's some good stuff. Not as high, but, but some good stuff. Hey, I'm, I, it's not about that. Mm -hmm. I'm all about it. Thanks, man. Awesome, Appreciate dude. it. All right. Thank you so much for your time, dude.
I'm Tom Foxley. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. If you want to follow JLo on Instagram, his handle is at chalkupjlo or follow Morning Chalk Up for all the best CrossFit news. Following this episode, we'll be releasing the debrief, a summary of the wisdom within this conversation and practical steps to applying it in order to enhance your own mindset. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you can begin growing the mindset of a limitless athlete. If you're on iTunes, a five-star review and some kind words are super helpful too as they support the show. For further mindset training resources and tools, head to mindsetrx.com, that's mindsetrxd, or follow us on Instagram by searching for mindsetrx. Embrace hardship in your training this week, and don't forget to tune in next week, where I'll be talking to an elite CrossFit athlete who has an insane amount of brain gains to bring you. Seriously, you're going to be overwhelmed by how much you can apply when you listen to this podcast.